Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's the show that's got mixed feelings about the sheer amount of games that is about to hit our television screens. On the one hand, there's going to be 36 matches broadcast in the opening 16 days alone, all free and across various platforms. On the other hand, divorce lawyers aren't exactly cheap these days. Joining me today are two debutants and the discussion, unsurprisingly, is football's imminent return. Namely, we're going to be focusing on the moral and practical implications, along with what we can expect in the weeks ahead. To discuss this, I'm delighted to say that we're joined today by Harry DeCosmo and Leif Youssef, both journalists and both guys I've got a lot of time for. Afternoon, Harry. How's tricks, mate? I'm good, thank you, uh, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Great to be here for the first time. Ah, Pleasure to have you, mate. Pleasure. And hi, Leif. It's a pleasure to finally speak. Hello, mate. Yeah, yeah. Good to talk to you today after all this time. Cheers, yeah. mate. To explain to uh, listeners who won't know, but um, when I ran the, the Daisy Cutter website, I used to get submissions from an extraordinarily good writer. Um, and then within a few months, I noticed he was getting published here, there, and pretty much everywhere, Life. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, mate, you were the first one who, um, who actually published me, son. <laughs> Are you a bear when we're actually going to make No, no, anything, so. but you, you are far <laughs> too good for the cutter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, no. So, Leif, sorry to put you on the spot, but can I just ask, already knowing the answer, how you've been spending some of your mornings during lockdown? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, it's been a bit funny, really, because obviously... We're, um, you know, I'm a full-time journalist, sports journalist, and um, there's obviously not much going on at the moment. I'm, I'm freelance at the moment, so um, there's literally nothing to go to, to, to sort of do. So um, I had about a week where um, you know everyone's just glued in front of the TV, like like you know, I'm sure everyone else was, um, and then had a week in the garden, just getting hammered every day, which was, <laughs> which was nice enough, staying safe and all that. And then I just suddenly thought, well, you know, might as well. Um, might as well try and do something. I've always been busy, always worked like, like all of us, and um, yeah, just decided to to uh, to sign up to um, a sort of company making ventilators and those sort of parts, really. So, just been working in the warehouse, and um, it's quite a laugh actually. It's, it's hard physical work, and it reminds me of when I was a student. But um, it's good fun, and all the lads there are good fun, and um, yeah, and it's, it's it's nice to feel vaguely virtuous for once. So, um, well, yeah, yeah. Fair thing to see, mate. That's a wonderful. And from my end, I've been eating lots of Pringles, so I've, I feel like I'm playing my part by keeping the food economy going. So, <laughs> fair play, mate. <laughs> uh, before we start, I don't want to waste this opportunity to have kind of the three of us on who all write about football for a living. I think it's a good chance to put across how the media have found this awful situation. So, if we start with you, Harry, how have you found it? Has has work dried up? Has it been difficult to, to actually find things to write about? Um, yes, for, for both. Uh, I, as soon as it happened, I had a, a mad panic and, uh, and put a tweet out and said, you know, uh, any, any help would be mm. great. And I've got a little bit of here and there, but I think the, the difficulty is, is that everybody's in the same boat. So if, if, if any, if you get a bit of work, then you're very lucky to do so because I think everybody's looking for the same, for the same stuff. I, I've, I've, what I found myself doing is having conversations with uh, people in, in, in uh, in in similar situations to me, and that and that's helped me get through it from a from a mental health standpoint. Um, yeah, I've struggled. I must admit, you know, I think I, I won't I won't you know lie about that. I've struggled with it from a work from a professional and personal perspective. Not seeing you know I live uh, quite a while away from my uh, from my parents, so I haven't seen them for three months. So personally and professionally, it's been quite difficult. Um, yeah, the work has dried up, but you would have to expect that in in the the life of 
a freelancer, even even when work can dry up, even when there is football. So when there isn't, then you know it's it's almost inevitable. Well, I mean, I was going to say that that was the strangest aspect for me personally because I've had two, maybe three occasions. I've been doing this now for five, six years, and there's been a couple of times where just the work has naturally dried up. You know, I've lost a client here and there, and I've, I've you know said to my wife. I might have to kind of just venture out and do something else here. It's not really working. And then something always falls into your lap. I never actually thought that the subject matter itself would dry up. I mean, that was just inconceivable, you know, that there'd be no football to ever write about. So, um, Leif, how have you found it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think both make really good points there. Um, I also say I'm, I'm heavily involved with Guna fanzine. So um, mm. we've been sort of doing um, sort of human interest stories, really. I know, uh, obviously, I mean, we, all, we all know fans of our clubs. I know a few Arsenal fans or more than a few. Um, people have been sort of coming to me with their stories and stuff. And um, and to be fair, we you know, the, the club's done really well in terms of reaching out to to people who've been affected with with coronavirus and COVID nineteen, and um, they've they've been quick to to get in touch with people who, who whose relatives have sadly passed, who we've done stories on basically. So yeah. in that respect, we've we've had a few stories to to, to write about, and um, we we obviously do the, the Guna Fanzine TV as well, which is an antidote to certain more excitable channels out there, should we say? And um, and one of the lads on it, um, Jake Cor, he's he's a, he's a lovely, lovely lad, and um, he's got autism, and he wrote a really moving piece about um, how he struggled with his mental health since um, since all this happened, basically. So, yeah, yeah you're absolutely right, both of you, in, in terms of you know that there isn't actually any subject matter to talk about as such, unless you want to, you know, talk nonsense about transfers that are not going to happen and, and and never been mooted, basically, or you know. Or matches, you know, because we, we thrive off the matches. We we cover the games, do match reports, player ratings, post-match stuff, you know, all that sort of thing. And then you're building up for the next one. That's completely gone. And, um, you know, Jurgen Klopp, to, to, to reference a Liverpool fan, which I'm sure you're, um, you'll be very pleased about. <laughs> um, he, he's used a quote I've always loved. I've, I've, I think I got it off, um, you know, I, I first came across it on sort of, you know, Italia, the, the old uh, Channel 4 programme. Yeah. In the nineties, with James Richardson, and it was um, football is the most important of least important things, and I, that's that's basically how I live my life. You know, you've obviously got your family, your your friends, your job, your business, whatever, and then you've got what matters to you most on after that. And for me, it's sport. For me, it's football, basically. And to have that removed is it has been hard. But there's been so many other more serious things that are going on. Just, just you know, people are trying to stay alive. They're trying to stay fit. They're trying to stay healthy. They're trying to keep their businesses going. Trying to get an income. You know, so so in that respect, I, I haven't missed football as much as I thought I would. I'm starting to miss it again now, but maybe that's more tied in with um, the Dominic Cummings thing, basically, when he just yeah. you know laughed at everyone for, for making so many sacrifices. And then everyone's gone, well, you know, well, why, why should we bother anymore, basically? And that's coincided with, obviously, the Premier League announcing it's coming back with, with um, Arsenal's game at City on... On June the 17th. So, yeah, I've missed it, but I haven't missed it that much, which has surprised me in a way, really. Yeah, yeah I very much the same, to be honest. Um, past, I remember having a, a discussion with a Liverpool fan a couple of weeks ago, some, you know, a friend of mine, and he was kind of saying that I was pretending to not miss football because, you know, I, I, Liverpool had obviously won the league and, and all the rest of it, and I didn't want to give kind of due props to him for that. And I was, I was really stating to him, look, I really don't miss football right now. And then it took me basically just laying out my circumstance for him to say, okay, fair enough. Um, and I didn't want to, but I, you know, I said, well, essentially I've lost my job. I'm unemployed. 
Um, you know, I'm high risk, so I'm, I'm kind of housebound. Um, you know, I'm worried about my family. I've got this going on, that going on. I've got a government I don't trust in. And, you know, there's been no football for three months now. And last season, or this season, sorry, just feels very much like last season. So, you know, of course I'm not really into this whole title race anymore. Um, but of course, if you're a Liverpool fan, you're going to have a different perspective. It's, it's a completely different thing for them. And, and they're just basically waiting for football to resume so they can win the title that they thoroughly deserve. So I do get it from his perspective, but I think there are certain people out there maybe who just have not fully kind of appreciated that football, like you say, it's the most important of the least important things. And right now there's a load more going on. Um, but which brings me to the first question, really. So, Harry, broadly speaking, are, are you for or against football returning in its current climate? I wanted the season finishing at the start of this. When as soon as it happened, I, I wanted the season finishing. Despite following Newcastle, who have very other than the FA Cup, um, with, they play Manchester City, so you could argue that they don't have much of a stake in that anymore. Well, I don't but, know. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, but other than the other, in the league, certainly um, there's not much to play for. You, you would imagine Newcastle are pretty much maybe a win away from being safe. Uh, and obviously, you know, uh, without the season finishing, Newcastle would, would survive. So you could argue that, that, that there isn't much logic in that. But I, I always wanted the season to finish as soon as it happened. But then, uh, like you just alluded to there, Steve, I think the, the time passing sort of changed your perspective. Because right before, before the decision was announced, I was kind of all for maybe ending the season in some way like points per game or, or something like that because I just didn't see how it made sense so the the number of deaths per day was was still crazily high yeah. when we were talking about it maybe coming back they're still you know very high in comparison to the rest of Europe now and it is coming back um so I, I, broadly speaking I've kind of gone both both ways on this I kind of think that I, you know but I must admit that when as soon as uh, the announcement was made, and there was all this stuff about football coming back, and you know all these games. And thought, I thought, you know, maybe I'll have something to write about. So, from, from a personal perspective, in terms of my job, I was thinking, Absolutely, you know, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. But broadly speaking, you know, all these players who've had issues with it, like you know, Danny Rose um, has been very vocal. Troy Deeney, I've had absolutely the utmost respect for them coming out and saying it, the utmost sympathy for them saying what they've said. So, um. I, I, I'm happy it's back in one sense, but I, I equally could, if it didn't come back, I could completely understand that. So I kind of, I've been both ways. I kind of probably sit in the middle right now. I think that's a very common kind of thought process. I mean, I think most of us are conflicted about this. I mean, personally, I'm kind of morally against football coming back at this time. I, it just doesn't sit right with me at all. And yet I do need football to return to have something to write about and to have, you know, people to write for and work for. So, from a selfish standpoint, you know, it, it's kind of something where when it looked inevitable, I, I kind of, you know, backed in and thought, okay, I hope this goes through. I hope this all works out. And uh, What about you, Leif? How do you feel about it? Do you think it's too soon or do you think the time's right now? Yeah, I, 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 there's so many grey areas and so many nuances to this, basically, yeah. that um, it's not, you know, I'm pro-football or against football coming back, basically, because... 
yeah, you touched on both. You touched on Troy Deeney, I think, and um, he's no friend of Arsenal fans, and vice versa. <laughs> and I actually agreed with everything that he said, which is a first, basically, because you know he said he's got a young kid and a family, just like everyone else. And why should he put his you know his, his elf on the line to to come back um, when you know other, other people aren't and and other industries aren't potentially? So it's um, it, it's really strange, and also it's just about money, isn't it? Really, because yeah. if you look at the academies, all the academies have been scrapped. You look at, you know, non-league. That all the non-league, as, as far as I know, has, has been scrapped as well. I know they've got. Um, they're, they're talking about, you know, was it Barrow or, or Stevens going up and down in terms of Stevens coming down for league two. But but those leagues are gone. Well, why have those leagues gone? What what what's what? You know, is the Premier League pure than academy football? Yes. For me, right. it's just all about money, and I can understand that from the club's point of view. We've we've written about their finances, Arsenal's finances, and um, and Spurs' finances as well, for that matter. But that's a different. <laughs> story altogether um, and you know the clubs need that revenue money there's obviously you know Arsenal's model financial model is based on um, a considerable amount of match day revenue they've lost that they can't be giving back TV revenue as well potentially so or losing that in the first place so I can understand that from their point of view but for for anyone to say you know it's just it, it's great to have football back because it's coming back the way we knew it before it is completely wrong because it's not. It's just, you know, 11. It's, you might as well watch a kick about down the park. And we do because we love football. We, you know, if you want to train and you see a game going past in the window, you look, you'll, you'll look until <laughs> the last second because we, we love watching football. But to anyone who kid themselves to say the Premier League is coming back, as we know it, it it's not. It's coming back to fulfil TV fixtures so the clubs can get as much money as possible and, and hopefully regroup next season, basically. And in a way, I can't knock that. But at the same time, it's... We've been in a global pandemic where a lot of people have died and a lot of people are ill and and, and, and livelihoods and is threatened along with health and everything else. And football's coming back and it's just like, well, is it the right time? I, I, I genuinely don't know. I genuinely don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it, for me, it feels too early. But at the same time, there's also that thought where, okay, well, in a month's time, will it be significantly different? Will it be better in a month or two mm. months down the line? And, and then obviously when you'll start looking at the July the um the thirty first and all the kind of contract um discussions that would have to be had and the complications and with that and essentially you know, at the end of July football just flips over onto a brand new calendar, doesn't it? So it had to be done before then, I feel. But whether it's safe to do so. Um Leif, I just want to take you back kind of right to the beginning really, and it feels so long ago now, but when Mikel Arteta uh was first kind of um it was revealed that he had coronavirus. Um do you, how long, I know it's hypothetical, but how long do you think football could have carried on for before, you know, if that had not happened, if a prominent member of the football community had not come down with coronavirus, as Arteta did, do you think football just would have continued and continued? I mean, it was the Liverpool the Atletico game, of course. Um, they seemed to be so blinded at the time of the Premier League and just seemed to be just intent on carrying on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a really good question, mate. Um, I remember going to... I mean, Arsenal's last game was on the 7th of March, Saturday the 7th of March. And I remember going to a, a pre-match press conference at London Colney on Thursday the 5th of March to to interview Arteta along with other Arsenal sort of related journalists and Fleet Street journos. And, um, and you know, you're all geared up for the game on a Saturday. It's, stuff's happening all the time, but you're still thinking, right, you know, it, it, the game's going to be played and it was played. Um, and then I think I did a podcast on a Monday and then we, we were sort of moaning about the, the, the City-Arsenal game being rearranged at short notice. And that was yeah. going to be, I think it was Wednesday the 11th of March. And I was all geared up to 
to drive up there with a couple of pals as well. I was going to report on it, and they were they were going to go in the way end, and um, and then obviously the news broke that, that Nicola Arteta was ill. So, you know, I, I can't actually remember when Cheltenham was, but it's normally around. And I go most years. I just had plans to go this year, basically. Yeah. And it's normally around um, St Patrick's Day, which is obviously the seventeenth of March. I can't remember if it was actually that late this year, but Cheltenham was still going ahead. I know there was um, England Wales rugby at Twickenham, which Boris Johnson actually went to on the same day as Arsenal West Ham. So that was Saturday the seventh, and, and it was just like we were sort of blithely walking into this this sort of um, you know pandemic, really. Whereas yeah. other countries were were sort of suffering more. There was the Atalanta um, Valencia game, I think, a couple of weeks before, and there's been a lot of sort of really really interesting articles about that and sort of, sort of, sort of saying that was Ground Zero and stuff. But um, I think to go back to your, your point. Mikel Arteta, you know, not only coming down with it, but actually, and to be fair to Arsenal, I'll, I'll criticise them if they need criticising, but they were, they did everything by the book that week, and they, they normally do, to be fair, with stuff like that. Yeah. And, and they announced it straight away. They said he was self-isolating, you know, and they, they told the world, basically. And I do think that that helped, because there's, you know, uh, there was a story out the other day, I think it was in the Guardian, about, um, you know, the, the amount of people who potentially got ill after Cheltenham. Yeah. I know you're sort of talking 250,000 people. But that was that was spread over four days. How many people go and watch Premier League football matches on the weekend or during the week? There, there would have been a lot of people potentially exposed to to a, you know, a killer virus, basically. So I think Arsenal did the right thing. Whether whether you can say Mikelotta to save lives, I don't know. It's probably potentially stretching the point. But but the, the club did the right thing, and um, I think the Premier League did the right thing eventually in, in calling off that. Uh, was it Saturday the 14th of March's fixtures basically which which it, with hindsight helped a lot and at the time it seemed like the right decision anyway yeah. Um, so yeah yeah, I, I think that probably did help people it, it, it was a big kind of wake up call wasn't it and um, I mean I was watching dispatches uh, the other night and uh, with my wife and we were watching it and we are basically kind of really being critical of the government and, you know, it was a kind of, you know, the timeline of kind of the build up to the pandemic and then the pandemic itself and how the government dealt with it. And we're watching this and we're tut tutting away. And then it shows Cheltenham. And, you know, you think, God, how can we be so blind to kind of still put Cheltenham on? And then we remembered that we went to Cheltenham about, you know, a week earlier. Uh, we right. just went down to the Cotswolds and had a, a weekend down there. So we were. You know, I was going to pubs, we were going in restaurants, we were just living a normal life kind of thing. Um, didn't think anything of it. And we're only talking a week. So we kind of realised that we were being hip- hypocritical, really, to kind of, um, you know, to, to look at others and say, God, how can you be so blind when we ourselves were blind? And maybe, you know, around that time, we needed something to happen, um, needed a member of the football community to, to get it, as awful as that sounds. And, and Mikel Arteta... Um, you know, with it being Arsenal and City as well, and then the cancellation of that game, uh, that was, in hindsight, a, a blessing of, oh, of course, it was awful, you know, that, um, that he'd have to go through that. And, and it's, it's really good that he's, he's okay now. But, um, God forbid what, you know, what would have happened if that hadn't happened, you know, and as you say, if those games had gone ahead, and um, it's like a quarter of a million people attend Premier League games, isn't it, every weekend for a full fixtures. Um, it could have been absolutely disastrous. So, yeah, and just that Atalanta um, Valencia game again because the, the game was played in Milan. Yeah, and I think it was thirty or forty thousand Atalanta fans went over there. You know, it was only like thirty, forty miles, but 
you know, the, 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 I don't think that was a coincidence. And I've read sort of pieces on that that saying it wasn't a coincidence that the highest outbreak of um, coronavirus was in was centered around those sort of parts of of northern Italy. Yeah, it was a huge spike in Bergamo, wasn't it? And, and yeah, directly yeah. as a consequence of that, has to be really. It's yeah, too much of a coincidence otherwise. And um, Harry, were PPG or avoiding the season ever real? Ever kind of realistic considerations for the Premier League where once this all started to kind of happen? I think voiding the season wasn't, I, don't, I think you would have to do everything. And because you've seen voiding the season happen in France and then with them subsequently seeing the Bundesliga and obviously in the next couple of weeks, the Premier League Serie A and La Liga come back, they've now started to look at that decision and think that it was hasty. Yeah. Um, I think voiding the season was, was, was always going to be a problem because you would, have and both of these things you, you you're likely to have some sort of legal issue either you know certain teams you look at Aston Villa or Bournemouth are going to be unhappy if it's points per game Liverpool would obviously be unhappy if he voided the season um personally I, I would prefer to see points per game over voiding the season if if it has to be curtailed but um and but if if there's a better way far be it for me to suggest a better way I'm I'm trying to do that but um Certainly, I wouldn't void the season. I, I could perceivedly see points per game being a better option um, than that. But uh, but no, um, I, I, yeah. This is the it, there. Is, I think the thing you have to say here is that there is there is literally nothing that you know. I think they alluded to football's not coming back properly. So you got to allude to you got to say that it, it's not going to be something that's going to please everybody. Someone's going to yeah. be unhappy with this, and it's just a way of finding. Uh, finding the way that that is least, you know, unfair. I think I quite, I, 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 I quite like the idea of, you know, um, if the season has to be curtailed, maybe bringing West Brom and Leeds up and relegating five next season is probably better, certainly better than voiding the season. But uh, to be honest, I don't know what the answer is. I just I, what what personally I've always thought is that voiding the season isn't isn't the answer. Is what I could say. Yeah, I mean, there's just no kind of perfect solution was there, and and, yeah. and it's led to you know, all manner of kind of fallout on Twitter and discussions mm. and debates and at least football coming back will kind of uh, hopefully put an end to all that so uh, and we can get back to just arguing about which team is better. And <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, Leif, looking ahead to a couple of weeks' time, how strange will it be to have these games played behind closed doors, um, you know, as five substitutes or wearing masks and socially distancing on the bench and players encouraged to turn away when tackled and not to celebrate together after goals um it's a whole new ball game isn't it it's going to be such a strange state of affairs yeah 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 absolutely i obviously sure i've all been watching the bundesliga and it is um it is a bit strange i suppose it's a new normal at the moment um yeah uh, yeah obviously yeah we'll get the joke out of the way about the emirates not having the atmosphere anyway <laughs> yeah we've been out of the city yeah um, yeah yeah but um yeah i, I We'll all watch it. There won't be. I can't imagine too many Arsenal fans not wanting to watch Man City Arsenal with first game for for three months. I know a lot of um, or a few of the the, the hardcore loyal Arsenal travelling support basically will go, will go everywhere uh, and not happy because they're obviously missing out. But what else can you do? And then they're, they're sort of saying, you know, it, it's, it's not it's not real. Basically, it's not. You know, there'll always be an asterisk against this season. But I think you're right. It, it just has to be done. We'll have to. Just get the season done. Try and get it done with as, as few lawsuits as possible from disgruntled <laughs> clubs and people, and then basically never speak of this season again unless it's a retro article. Basically, yeah. um, there there is no. You're right. There, there's no right way to do it. 
Um, there's a lot of wrong ways, I think, but um, we just got to get to some sort of consensus where you, you know, the majority are just like just tolerant of what's going to go on and and, and deal with it. Basically, um, from an Arsenal point of view, I, I would have been happy if the season had been scrapped in, in October, but that's a, <laughs> that's a different matter. Basically, um, yeah, it just depends where your club is. That, that's the bottom line, isn't it? If, you, if your yeah. club's fighting relegation and, and then you lose sort of your, your, your sort of home support, as it were, then you are going to be annoyed. Um, likewise, if you're going for the title and, and you're not going to, you know, <laughs> you're two wins away from winning it, and, and then suddenly the season's been voided, you're not going to be happy either. So, there, there, there's, we've just got to come to a consensus. You know, everyone's adults, everyone's, you know, sitting down and thinking about what they've got to do. And I, I think this is the the best option of a lot of bad options, basically, just to play the games and get it done. And hopefully, there's not too many um, disgruntled teams and fans at the end. Although I must say, if I was a Leeds fan and I didn't get promoted this year, I, I would think it was a global conspiracy against my club, basically. But yeah. that's a different story as well. Well, I mean, yeah, I think it's for Liverpool against. I mean, first, yeah. you know, it was so close to winning the league in 2014, and Gerrard slipped, and then, yeah, and then yeah. just as they're about to kind of, you know, one hand on the trophy, there's a global pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, thinking, yeah, exactly. Yeah, what else must we have to do? But. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just, yeah, we're all sort of laughing at the irony of it rather than anything else. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, yeah, and no one would dispute, that, apart from some, you know, real diehards around the country, that it's Liverpool's title. They've yeah, been by yeah. far the best team in in the land up until March, and um, I know they had a bit of a wobble, but they're so far clear. It's you know, just they deserve the title, and it'd be nice, you know, from a from a non Liverpool's point of view, you know, not speaking for any Liverpool fans, obviously, but it'd be nice just to see them lift a, lift a trophy on the pitch rather than being awarded it. But either way, if you're a Liverpool fan, you just want that trophy, don't you? And, and you're going to get it in a couple of weeks potentially. So yeah, I mean, as, as a City fan, I've long, you know, for, for a couple of months now, I've long had the opinion of I just want this season concluded so they can be yeah. crown champions, and then we can you know, endure the celebrations and then move on because, you know, <laughs> there's no admit, pressure. I'll be following your Twitter feed intently, Steve. <laughs> I've been as good as gold recently. As good as gold. I'm, I'm a changed man, mate. Honestly, I've <laughs> finally learned my lesson. Oh, dear. dear. Never yeah, forget. Was, yeah, last year when I, I put something up on Twitter and I, it wasn't even that bad and I just got crucified by Liverpool fans and yeah. And my wife was at work and, and she must have seen a bit of it and she just came over and said, what have you done this time? <laughs> <laughs> I remember flicking through my feed just going, oh man, seriously. <laughs> yeah, no more now. I, I, yeah, I can see. <laughs> so, Harry, looking ahead at the next few weeks, it's going to be, well, it's, it's going to be a curiosity as much as anything else. Um, something what does concern me is obviously the game's being played behind closed doors, no fans, I started to think, well, this is a positive in a sense that fans will be more appreciated than ever when we kind of get to return to stadiums. Now I'm really not so sure. I really kind of can go either way. Um, I've read today that they plan to fill kind of 25% of grounds with advertising, um, 10% for Premier League imagery and logos. So that's a full third of the stadium just for kind of advertising, essentially. Is there a danger that club's perception of fans might change after this for the worst that they might kind of come to realise that we're not the be all and end all I think that would be uh, a disaster for football I think mm. I, I agree with what you were saying before you, you alluded to the first part of the question that this is an opportunity for fans for, for football to reconnect with fans you know yeah. uh, watching the Bundesliga game it was a derby the first game was a derby Schalke Dortmund and 
it did look awful. It did look awful. Just to go back onto something, the one thing I, I would say from a fan's perspective, watching these games um, in the Premier League, you know, will there be interest and stuff? There's going to be a bit of a difference between this and the Bundesliga because you 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 are emotionally invested in it. You still want your team to win. So whether there's fans there, you're still going to you know you, you're still going to care a bit more than you would judging on on the Bundesliga games, for example, or yeah, if you've been watching the Belarusian football or the South Korean football before that. It's going to be a bit different when it's the Premier League, but but to, to answer the question, yeah, I think it, there is a danger because the, because football is slipping away from fans, and it has been over the last particularly ten, fifteen years more than than ever before. Uh, but they're really, what I would like to see is a is a is a more of an appreciation, you know, stuff like changing kickoffs times uh, for TV to to not suit uh, teams in in um, in. Strange parts of the country, you know, yes. far away parts of the country. Um, I'll give you an example. Newcastle have only played one Monday night football game at home that I can think of in the last since, since Monday night football came back to Sky, and that was in 2013. Um, and they've been sent away for Monday night football games in uh, and Friday night football. They were supposed to play Tottenham. Um, it got postponed because of an FA Cup game a couple of years ago, and this is the sort of thing that Newcastle fans have had to deal with because they are so far away from um, from anybody else in the in the league. At the moment, um, the next, the closest team is Sheffield United, and then you're looking at Burnley, which is still a hundred miles away. Mm. Um, so that, that that's just an example from from my perspective of how fans need to be treated better. But there is definitely a worry that that it could go the other way because football has been going the other way. Ticket prices are crazy. Uh, broadcast right, you know, the amount of different broadcasters, and you have to um, that you have to subscribe to just to watch your teams. The, these sorts of things are are all leveled against fans as it is. So it, it's very, as, as, as much as it, there's an opportunity, it's very difficult to see how a game that is, because the whole point of bringing football back is to do with money, as we've alluded to. So that's where the, the primary focus is. It's not with the fans anyway. So of course yeah. there's not a danger that, that these things are going to, are going to go even further south, which is really, really sad to be honest, because there's a, there is a, a golden opportunity. If there's a positive of this, of football being um, suspended, it's is that you've seen physically that the importance of fans because of how strange the games are to watch without them. Yeah, and, and there's certainly that kind of golden spell, really, for, of about four to six weeks when players were doing a lot on social media and they were kind of really coming across as kind of, you know, there was that kind of connection between players and fans. Mm. Very much kind of, a, it was a, a, you know, a climate of fear uh, in this country because, you know, obviously there's a pandemic and we weren't kind of as acclimatised to it as we are perhaps now. Um, and so that kind of, you know, united everybody. Um, and yeah, I really felt that something positive could come out of this, that fans and the clubs could reconnect. But Leif, do you kind of... Do you share that worry regarding kickoff times? I mean, I've looked at these the schedules and it's six o'clock and half past eight and two forty fives. And is there a danger that these might be normalised? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've, I've been to Newcastle and and City as a fan, and and I've been both to both grounds as a journalist as well. And um, yeah, they, you know, City and Newcastle fans are some of the most loyal in the country. They 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 travel everywhere to watch their team you know and that, that's that's like a lot of Arsenal fans as well but no one in no one with the, the sort of power to to you know set those fixtures and the tv fixtures as well 
cares a jot about that. Yeah. No one. Yeah. It's not even a consideration. No one cares, and it's it's always been like that. And sometimes I get really annoyed about it, and other times I'm like the you know someone's like going back to Dominic, Dominic Cummins again. It's like you know you get the sort of people that go well. Why, why are you shocked? Because that's what you should expect from a Tory and someone like that. And the other times you're like, well, I'm full of indignation because why are they doing that? Basically, it feels at the moment, I'm just like, well, it's, of course it's about money. It's not about anything else. It's never been about fans. If they cared about fans, ticket prices would be capped. I know they've got the 26 quid for the away ones, certainly at Arsenal. Um, but, but home prices are ridiculous. You know, you'd subsidise you know, ticket prices that way, you'd subsidise travel, you'd subsidise a lot of things, and clubs would make far more of a stand to say, do you know what, I'm not going to, if I'm a Newcastle, you know, I'm not going to set Newcastle, Southampton for, for 12, 15 at St Mary's on a Sunday, you yeah. know, or, or whatever, basically, but but no one cares, no one cares about the fans, it's always been that way, I, I used to watch Arsenal in the 80s, show me age here, but um, as a kid, and um, Maybe that's the standpoint I'm coming from, where, where no one actually cared at all. You were actually seen as scum if you went to football in yeah, the nineties, yeah. and you know I, I don't ever want to go back to that because you would. There were some games you'd be absolutely fearful for for your health, basically. And you know there, there was six months where there was no football on TV. It wasn't even if you got a page in a newspaper, you know, a, a whole page devoted to football that weekend's football, you'd be you'd be dancing basically. So no one ever wants to go back to that. But but fans are still not the priority of anyone in, in a position of power, basically. Every club has got a sort of community or a foundation now and they do so much good work in, in, in the local community and, and, and further afield as well. I know Arsenal do. I know City have. I've been up to, obviously, City's new ground a few times now and um, they've completely regenerated that area. They, they do a lot of good investment into, into the city of Manchester too. Same with Newcastle, with Newcastle food banks and things like that. Um, you know, although that's not a club in this year, that, that's more fans, isn't it? Because um, Mike Ashley did absolutely less than nothing for that club. But, but at the same time, you know, if the fans don't mobilise, then then no one cares, basically. No one cares about trying to improve their conditions. And one of the conditions is, is obviously TV. So, yeah, at the moment, I'm just like, well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised at all. But um, they do have to be careful. But, but that's the thing is what I was going to say. They do have to be careful about, you know, sort of killing the, the, the golden goose. But... But for Arsenal, they've got years and years of season ticket waiting lists, basically. So if you, and I know a lot of my friends have, have, have had enough, basically. And if you're someone who's watched Arsenal for 20, 30, 40 years and you've had enough, it's not like that, that ticket won't be taken up by someone else. It'll be taken up, but it'll be taken up by someone potentially with, with not as much passion about the club who sees it more as a day out or, or a sort of theatre where you're there to be entertained rather than you living the dream about supporting your club, basically. So maybe clubs do have to be careful about that. But, you know, they, 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 they've ridden roughshod over fans' views for, for so long. I, I can't see it changing now. One thing, one positive, to not get too negative, I think may happen next season when fans are allowed to go back to grounds is I think there, there may be more interest in lower league clubs and non-league football. Just from fans who have maybe had enough of Premier League football, they'll still support their team, yeah. but they might go and watch a local side rather. Yeah, I'm not saying every fan's not local, but but you know what I mean about um, you know a, a non-league side playing at home on a Saturday when your team's not playing to Sunday even. You you may go and watch that non-league side because you want your fix of football and authentic, genuine football in terms of being there and experiencing it and having a bit of you know standing as well, stuff like that. And it's not so sanitised. Well, also with standing as well, it'll be kind of easier to you know socially distance as well, which is a factor. Um, yeah, you know, I would yeah. feel safer going to you know kind of um, say Wrexham for example, you know my local place because you know yeah. the, the stands are vast. And, and, yeah. and the attendances are small, so you know I could basically yeah. just keep away from everyone. Whereas, 
you know, if I go and see City, um, you know, I'm kind of in a seat right next to two people either side of me. So, and yeah. um, I, I think certainly for the next year, that that will be a factor for a lot of people that feeling safe going back to, to games because, you know, yeah. it's going to be a long time before we're just going back to games under normal circumstance, I think. Um, yeah, really good point. Yeah, oh, Something they've mentioned there, Harry, really kind of um, rang a bell with me where um, he was saying about season ticket, kind of the list and kind of, you know, people still going and, and, and all the rest of it, no matter what. And at the start of the season, I wrote a couple of times about um, a, a press group at Newcastle who were basically boycotting games because of Ashley. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know, did that continue? Did that have any effect at all? Because um, I remember there was a cut. It was against Arsenal, wasn't it? The first game of the season um, where they were kind of hoping that it was going to be half empty, but it wasn't. Mm. Yeah, I think it, it grew um, over the season as it, as it went. And I remember being at the Arsenal game and thinking, which way will it go? And, and there was a, a, an air of disappointment uh, with with that um the that attendance but it did grow to the point where i think there was a game i think it was against southampton where it was the lowest crowd it's 41,000 the right. lowest crowd in the premier league for 10 years and steve bruce came out and said well you know and kind of i think i think he will have understood but he, the real reason but he wouldn't want to say it publicly so he so he discussed about pricing and and it being around christmas and the northeast being quite a a hard hit area in the country so they couldn't afford to go to games around christmas which is it's never been a problem before, but they came out and said, well, here's 10,000 free season tickets to or existing season ticket holders, which got, um, which got a lot of people's backs up for obvious reasons in Newcastle. But the, the, it did work because the, the pressure since Rafa Benitez departed, the pressure, it felt like a, a watershed moment for fans, even if, even if they didn't, um, that even if they didn't necessarily boycott the, the atmosphere at the ground was cold. It was, much it, it was it was much less there was no hope it was everything that you imagine um being a football fan mm. is about you know the hope the expectation the the feeling of part of a community it doesn't exist at Newcastle because of Mike Ashley and that was represented perfectly by Rafa Benitez's departure and just you know my own father as um he'll he'll he's one of those people who'll check the results and he'll text me after a game saying good good result for the tune and all this and whatever. But he he hasn't set foot in St James's Park for four years, right? Because he because he gave up on Newcastle United because of because he didn't want to get he didn't want to you know fund Mike Ashley or, or or give Mike Ashley his money or just even show support for a team that is actively um, showing contempt for supporters. Yeah. So that's the so that's the atmosphere around the club now. That's why the takeover has to happen. Um, and just you know, to go back onto the thing about you know fans being treated poorly to the previous question, Mike Ashley is still taking out the um, price for season tickets for next year when there's a possibility that Jesus. there's no there's not going to be any fans allowed in the ground anyway. Um, which just is, is a if it's that's his last act as Newcastle United owner, it's the perfect way to sum up <laughs> how he's treated the club. Um, you know, th- this is this is the whole situation. So I, I think it may not. Look like it because some because the 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 opposite argument for many Newcastle fans is Newcastle United is still Newcastle United. It's still the only thing we've got to keep us going. So some people will go and support the club, whatever happens. But I think the Benitez departure last year, plus um, plus some of the, some people have turned off from watching the Bruce football this year. Mm. Has it the, the atmosphere, despite the results being 
basically as positive as they were roughly Newcastle are where they are in the table where they are, where they finished in under beneath in under beneath us around that same area and they're in the FA Cup quarter final the football's been so poor and the whole situation's been so without hope that people have have actually turned away and there does feel like a bit of a difference as for years protesting was seen as something that didn't work in the great amount of you know, in this great way, but actually, I think it's made it, this season's been it's felt different, and that batch of supporters that you mentioned that boycotted that has been diluted a little bit on the cameras because those supporters have been those ten thousand supporters who walked away have been replaced by people who've taken free season tickets. But in terms of what it actually means and the atmosphere around the place, you can definitely feel it. Well. What's your take on the, the potential takeover? Do, do you believe that it's going to go ahead? Yes, I do. Um, I think that there are a few issues. It's it's dragged on for a lot longer than people expected. But the way that the reason for that is is it's still with the Premier League. So all this, all of these things are that people saying that it, you know that the piracy issue that's been mooted and the human rights issues that have been mooted. Mm. Um, nobody's anyone who's commented on that being a problem is doesn't really know it's still where it's it's been for the last two months and i think you've got to take into account which two months these have been there've been a, two, a couple of months where people haven't been allowed to leave the houses and um things haven't been moving as possible as as, as they usually would so you've got to make a, little, a few exceptions for that um bear and also bear in mind that this is a takeover that because it's saudi arabia there are so many there is so much of a of a you know, a, a, an opposition to it. But to be honest, I think everyone's still confident. I'm still confident it'll happen eventually. I just, I, I've stopped putting a date on it because whenever people would ask me up until about three or four weeks ago, I would say, yeah, it'll be in the next 24, 48 <laughs> hours week. Yeah. And it wouldn't. And, and people who are much more connected than I am would say the same thing and it wouldn't happen. And so I, I am confident it'll happen. It'll happen eventually. And it'll happen, um, potentially, hopefully, uh, this month but I just don't know because it depends when the Premier League get round to uh, to accepting it but my belief is and from what I've heard that that all of the issues that have been mooted but rightly or wrongly won't won't count against it I, I really personally hope it goes through I really do I, I, I hope you get Ashley out and you're just furnished with loads of money and you're competing up there because I mean I, I love Newcastle I love Newcastle fans so um, I think you'll be such a, a a plus, basically, to the top of the Premier League. So I hope that's the case. Um, Leif, turning to Arsenal. Actually, before we touch on Arsenal, there's a, there's a question I want to kind of ask you both, really, which kind of leads on directly to Arsenal, really. Um, so, Leif, in the past couple of weeks, I've been writing about different things here and there, you know, when, when I can get the work. Uh, and I needed to find out about the form of a player or the form of a team. And, and I've looked back and I've seen, you know, that Palace strung together three wins on a spin before the kind of cessation of this league, uh, this season. Uh, Wolves are in ter- terrific form. And, but none of it just seems at all relevant anymore. It just, as I said at the top of the show, it just feels now like last season. Um, do you feel the same way when, when you kind of look back at the last few games before the season was put on pause? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's almost like um, I don't know if you, if, you, if your team plays really well at the end of a season. Yes, and you're yeah. really looking forward to the start of next season. Yeah, and then they somehow don't don't try to play <laughs> over for whatever reason. It feels a bit like that. Um, 
it's purely in terms of Arsenal players. Bukayo Saka has been an absolute revelation. Um, he was looking slightly tired prior to um, to the sort of you know coronavirus gripping the planet, as it were. Um, so I think he'll yeah you know, just go back to football. I think he um, I think he'll do a rest will do him really well, really good, and I think he'll come back really well and strong again, basically. So which, which could be a massive, massive boost for Arsenal, basically. It feels really weird talking about team news and players again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> much forgotten, basically. But um, yeah, I mean there, there were certain players that that, that, that were playing well, um, and obviously you know, everyone wanted um, Unai Emery to do well. Um, if we're going to sort of talk about Arsenal for a second, um, I, I probably probably ninety percent of his press conferences across home and away across Britain, uh, across England, across Europe as well. Um, and he was a, he was a good guy. He was a gentleman, but but ultimately he wasn't good enough, and that's what he's employed for. And his communication skills weren't good enough either. And mm. I think that that really let him down. So you know, to have Mikel Arteta come in um, and after you know, to take over a. A, a sort of listless club that was that was struggling. It was our worst run for forty, fifty years. And you know, everyone can say, "Well, you know, no clubs, you know, too big to go down." It, it was. It didn't get to that point. But there was a, an away game against West Ham in um, in early December, and Arsenal hadn't, hadn't literally won a game since a league game since I think it was the third of October. And um, when we went one 0 down, I, I was in the way in that night rather than the press box, and um, we scored literally three goals in nine minutes, and the explosion of joy. <laughs> was just unbelievable that night. It was my favourite nine minutes of the season, basically, because, you know, we, we were singing, I was staying up and stuff like that. I know it was slightly tongue-in-cheek, but Arsenal were really, really poor. And then that, that wasn't good enough. So to go back to the original point, just about um, the, the team and, and Mikel Arteta, um, Mikel Arteta steadied the ship. I think there's so much more to come from him. Yeah. I think he's a really, really impressive guy. You've obviously, you know him inside out from, from being at City yeah. as well. Um, I, I think he was held in massive respect to see by Pep Guardiola and everyone else in, in the backroom staff and the players and, and the fans too I believe so um, yeah I, I love him and he's obviously got the Arsenal link too he was a good player and he won he won the FA Cup as well and he captained the club so he knows Arsenal inside out I think there's so much to come from him um, whether it's going to be this season or not we were on a I think it was a nine game unbeaten run which has sort of you know, it propelled us to the heady heights of ninth basically yeah. um, I, I did think we could have kicked on a bit more I don't. I don't think the Champions League in in March was was a viable sort of um, you know think something to aim for. But I, th- I certainly think we could have potentially challenged for a Europa League spot for good or bad, basically. But um, yeah, in in terms of form, you, take your pick now. Who knows? Yeah. Depends who's had a good pre season in April and May, basically. Well, yeah. did you get the vibe kind of you know before the season's pause that the players were, were kind of really getting Arteta's ways and you, know, you as you mentioned there, you lost once in. 11, I think, under Arteta. You're in really good form. And, and particularly the last couple of games, really, yeah, you get some yeah. good wins. Um, and the performances were looking, you know, quite complete as well. So I, from the outside looking in, I thought, right, the players are getting it now. Uh, did you get that vibe too? Yeah, yeah. I, I think what they were doing, they were certainly following the instructions of the manager, basically. I think a few of them were lacking in confidence. There was there was a lack of cohesion amongst the, the, the starting 11, whatever that was. Um, there was too much confusion over tactics. This is all under Emery, and and gradually Arteta had to had to rebuild that belief in 
in, in what the manager's telling the team basically and he, he melded he was melding the team and the squad into something that that was far better than the sum of its parts under Emery towards the end so there was a lot of positivity there and every Arsenal fan you, you ask 99% of Arsenal fans probably more than that you know whether they're going to give Arteta time and whether they they think he was the right man for the job and, and going forward as well not just the appointment they'd say yes basically and I think a lot of fans are looking forward were looking forward to next season um, so it's only a good thing basically but as I say I don't who knows City, City are a really really good side there was you know there was have been over the last sort of few years basically and, and City as a club I've always had respect for City I, you know, I used to go to Main Road in the way Enders you know when I was younger and stuff and um, yeah. you know to get 32,000 in a Johnston paint trophy against Mansfield when you're in the third <laughs> tier back then I, I, although I suppose it's a bit like our sort of Anfield 89 where a million people claim they're at those sort of games but, um, <laughs> yeah oh, oh ours is the York away yeah I've always had time for City and, and I've got no you know there's no shame in saying that City are a far superior side Saying that, I don't think they they were as good as they were last season. You beat us three 0 before Christmas, and um, I think I did a tweet basically just saying, you know, this this city team is a good team, but it's not as good as last season. Basically, oh yeah, you know, we went off and, the um, and and you still walked all over us. And I, I'd, I'd I'd love to say that we'll go up there and tonk you and um, you know win every game and finish in the top four, but it's not going to happen. Basically, as far as I can see, um, I, I, Arteta is, is is pushing us in the right direction, and I do believe he's building something there. But but in terms of June the seventeenth, I can only see a home win. Yeah, well, I mean, it's such a, a different circumstance now. And uh, you know, like I say, form is almost irrelevant. It's so hard to call. Um, so yeah, let's just wait and see. But uh, as regards to Newcastle, Harry, I mean, it kind of came at a bad time for you guys as well because, as you said earlier, realistically, you needed one win and then you were safe. Um, but now you, you kind of all these clubs in the bottom eight are just being thrown back into this relegation scrap and they're getting thrown back in cold, you know, into this highly pressurized scenario. Um, that's going to be a difficult thing, isn't it, for for all of them? You know, kind of Brighton and, and Norwich and everyone to suddenly have to just snap back into this very pressurised situation. Yeah, I think for Norwich it's a free hit because they are pretty much. Yeah, everyone's assumed that they're down anyway, so they're six points off safely. They 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 can give it a good go. Um, you know, Newcastle, as you mentioned, one win would do it. Uh, what was really funny was coming into the to the break they just beat Southampton playing a different way Bruce had changed the system to, to be a bit more attacking because they've got if you look at the stats for goals it's 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 awful really you know mm. the number of goals chances um, created all, the, all these stats Newcastle pretty much bottom of those so Bruce had changed it um, they'd got a draw against Burnley but performed much better had 21 shots I think in that game um, they still hadn't probably done enough to win but they, they at least showed intent which was all that was really asked for them of them, they went to Southampton and won. So they they they'd started to turn a corner, playing a different way. Whereas before the, I think it, they they lost four nil at Arsenal, and it was nil nil at halftime. Then they lost four nil in the second half, and that was a a, a bubble bursting moment for Newcastle because they'd been unbeaten in eight games yeah, so, across yeah. all competitions before mm. that game. But that included FA Cup wins in replays against. Oxford and Rochdale I think so it was a real false sense of security and that game really sort of burst the bubble for Newcastle how how poor they were in the second half how much they capitulated and it really made Bruce because Bruce was told was talking about changing it in that game and it really confirmed that he had to change it for the for the games against Burnley and um and Southampton and obviously Sheffield United 
ideally because the press conferences were done for that game. It was the you know all it was the Thursday or or Wednesday or whatever it was that the games were cancelled. Everything was still in preparation for those for those games. Um, so I think that uh, it's 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 worrying. I still think Newcastle will be okay. I still think they have enough to to get one win in in nine games. Yeah. Um, but it 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 is interesting if you're. Villa or if you're Bournemouth or if you're Norwich, not only do you not want to have an opportunity, you don't want the, the season to be curtailed in any way because you're likely to go down, but you also want it because you believe that you can, you know, as I say for Norwich, it's a free hit because everyone thinks that they're down anyway, but they, they've shown at times, they've obviously beaten Man City, they beat Leicester before the, the lockdown as well. Um, they've shown at times that they have enough to compete in this in this league. They could easily get bridge that six point gap in in their minds so i I do think the mindset's going to be completely different um and 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 as you say it feels like last season so in a way all bets are off to a degree yeah yeah i mean that kind of sums up really well actually the the remainder of a season all bets are indeed off now because um you know as someone who, who likes to flutter myself i'm not I'm not going anywhere near a bookies for the next few weeks because it's so hard to call, you know, what's going to happen. It is like an entirely new season and yet in this entirely different scenario as well. For and you've everyone. seen in, um, sorry, you've yeah. seen in, in away games uh, in the Bundesliga, the, the, mm. the, the not having any fans yeah. uh, has really altered the the sort of thing that, that so so teams like uh, Norwich and, and, and Villa might look at home games and think, right, there's an opportunity to, to win games, to win three points. It might work against them because without the, the home fans roaring them on, would 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 Norwich have beaten Manchester City earlier in the season? Yeah, Probably not. Yeah. Newcastle's opportunity in the FA Cup, um, supporters are thinking now, you know, they, they thought, let's have a good go at Manchester City in the Cup because we, we've, we've beaten them at St. James's Park before. We got a draw against them earlier in the season. There's a real opportunity if the fans are, are there and the atmosphere is generated first FA Cup tie uh, quarterfinal tie in fifteen years or whatever it is is a real opportunity. Without the fans there, the 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 mindset changes, so it can work both ways. Uh, well, I was going to say about working both ways, yeah, because I'm, I'm I haven't checked the full fixtures, but I'm guessing Norwich have got some trickier ways about to in the next you know nine games, or whatever. So, yeah, suddenly a trip to Old Trafford or a trip to Anfield, it won't be so intimidating because mm. you know. And someone made a really good point in the pod a couple of weeks ago. Of course, Liverpool have won the league, but. If this had happened halfway through the season, a, a big factor would be, you know, the importance of Anfield to, to Liverpool, um, you know, which is more so than possibly the Etihad to City, um, because it's it's quite a fierce in, in, you know, environment and, and quite you know a passionate environment, and and they would miss out on that. So yeah, there's there's all manner of different kind of factors to kind of weigh in um, but as I said there's no way I'm going to a bookies you might as well just flip a coin it's it's just a series of unknowns isn't it and 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 again that kind of sums up what the rest of the season is now just a series of unknowns um, well thank you very much both for joining us today I really appreciate it it's been great to have you both on um, and it, all the listeners um, check out our kind of link on Twitter and you'll see the Twitter handles of, of both Harry and Leif and um, but yeah, thank you very much, Harry. Cheers, uh, Steve. It's been really uh, enjoyable to just talk about football again. <laughs> it has. It has. <laughs> um, thank you very much, Leif. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having us on. I really, really enjoyed it, actually. Yeah, ah, good pleasure, time. mate. Thank you. Good to hear And to everyone out there, thank you for listening in. And as always, stay safe, stay well, and forever up the blues. <laughs>